Testing, testing, check one, two. The mic is hot. Hey, Aaron, can we come on now? Can you hear me, Dave? Dave, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Hey, everybody. Good to see you guys. Aaron, what do you say? Should we begin? Yeah, let's hit it. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you could join us on this evening, this Thursday evening, our first ever virtual event like this. And um, who knows, maybe our last. <laughs> Hopefully not our last. Uh, we have been so, so encouraged. Uh, in fact, we, the, the signup just kept coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in. Eight countries were represented, 30 states, a gazillion different denominations. Just as a, as a fan of Same Old Song, it was very cool to see um, just the actual names. And for a lot of people, the actual churches and congregations behind uh, all these statistics we can see. So it can be so impersonal. So to to, uh, to see names and registrations, this has been really, really fun. I thought I would say a prayer and then uh, turn it over to the hosts of Same Old Song. So let us pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this day, for uh, this internet and for this virtual event and for this podcast, for the many ministries that are, uh, that are, um, helped by it. We pray that tonight would be a real shot in the arm and a just a, a, a something genuinely helpful as we approach Lent and uh, in another Lent in a pandemic. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, get started. I want to say, first of all, thank you to anybody who's watching us uh, from the, uh, well, from many time zones ahead, I saw there were people who registered from Germany, from the UK, uh, from Indonesia. So if you're in tomorrow and you're with us, uh, thank you for uh, doing that. And um, uh, I was also encouraged to see many Canadian provinces uh, uh, represented in the registration. Uh, can I, I want to ask guys if I, I want to take a picture, Dave, is that okay? I want to do a screenshot of this like historic, uh, event this you know the first and as you said possibly last ever same old song virtual event so if you don't right now i see a bunch of you i can't tell you which one of you are on the first or second screen because it probably looks different on your computer that does on mine but i'm gonna take a screenshot of this brady bunch thing we have going on if you don't want to be featured on mockingbirds social media um then mute your screen in five four three two one Okay, and that was the first screen. I'm gonna get the second one. This is super lame. I feel like grandpa being like, everybody, all the kids get together for a photo, but we're doing it. Okay. All right, so now uh, I wanna talk a little bit as we start here about uh, just kind of how the world understands Lent. And I, I sort of think that even the secular world, but definitely in the Christian world and how Mockingbird understands Lent, because the focus of what we're doing here tonight is how to craft a gospel-focused or gospel-centered sermon for Lent. You've got five Sundays leading up to Easter. You've got possibly attendance increasing or decreasing. Who knows? It's a pandemic. But in the old days, the attendance pre-Easter used to kind of begin to climb up a little bit. And there are still lots of people who know it's Lent, especially if you live in the East Coast United States or heavily Roman Catholic areas where all the fast food restaurants start serving fish on Fridays. I mean, Arby's is like plugging the fish sandwiches and all those sorts of things. So people still kind of know what Lent is. 
And there is this understanding in the world and in the church. And if you're new to Mockingbird, or if you're maybe someone who just listens to the same old song and is not really kind of aware of the Mockingbird uh, spirit and approach to things, I just want to lay out kind of where we're going uh, with this and how we think about Lent. Because I think the world understands Lent as doing something hard that sucks to make yourself better for the Lord. Doing something hard that sucks that makes yourself better for the Lord. Also, it's often connected to self-improvement projects, uh, weight loss. Um, it, you know, it comes very close after the New Year's resolutions and kind of can tap into the same energy, but it's also like this, uh, you know, uh, chance to get another shot at your New Year's resolutions. Sometimes it's not about making you better. Sometimes it's just doing something hard again because suffering is noble or something like that and i'm not saying that this is if you are someone who comes from an anglo-catholic tradition or a tradition where lent is really important i don't i know that this is not how it is taught i just know that this is how it is often perceived it's like i'm gonna do something arbitrary that i don't like and god will be happy i'm gonna give up chocolate i'm gonna give up social media i'm gonna give up whatever it is um and that's the point and so if that's your understanding of lent your sermons uh might be sort of geared towards doing that uh talking about things to give up talking about things to take on that's a popular angle among us clergy types um let's not about giving something up it's about taking something on and uh when it's various acts of service and spiritual disciplines and things like that uh the way mockingbird understands lent is that like all human activities it is another thing that will show your low anthropology and a high Christology. It will show how you are not good at being a Christian slash human and that you absolutely need a savior. And so Lent provides a lot of really good opportunities to talk about that fact because it is a time where people maybe more than other times in the year are trying hard to be good Christians and whatever they think that means. And they're surprised at how hard it is. They're surprised at how weak their willpower is. They're surprised at how quickly they begin to rationalize and justify uh, 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 going back on whatever they are trying to do for Lent. If they've tried to give up uh, yelling at their kids and like five minutes later, they're screaming about the crayon drawing that's appeared on the wall if they've decided to take on and you know getting up early to pray and they're just after three days they're just back to the same old hitting snooze and going back to sleep so uh mockingbird understands lent as a way to talk about the same human condition that we always experience um and it's a time when maybe people are a little bit more able to hear it because they're aware of their own inability to to keep a holy lent as we talk about it um but i think one of the things that mockingbird will say is that um uh the, the failing lent is kind of the point like once you have missed your spiritual targets aha now you're now you're in the right place now the holy spirit can begin to do some work because you thought this was about you and you getting better but really it's about you getting in a place when you're open to god uh i think one of the other things that mockingbird does a really good job at is talking about the ways we think we're being spiritual but they're actually deeply sinful which is on display at lent a lot like i'm going to do something special and holy for god and i want a gold star for it 
but actually it's again more about you than about god and mockingbird cracks me up every year dave zoll talks about these things and he'll write about these things where um if people really wanted to suffer for lent like actually suffer they would do things like stop brushing their teeth they would rack up so much credit card debt that they will default uh they will publish their entire sexual history on Facebook and just see what happens. But people don't do these things for Lent. They don't actually opt into actual suffering. Uh, so yeah, Jason says that would make my wife suffer. I don't know which one you're referring to, probably all three of them. But uh, people, it, it's interesting, people don't do things that actually cause suffering. So I think you can sometimes gently, lovingly, we, Mockingbird tries to talk about the ways to, to just hold the mirror up and say, you know, you think that Lent is you think you're pleasing somebody or earning a gold star, but really uh, this is more about you and you're not actually suffering. You just want to sort of suffer so you can then brag about your suffering. So that's one of the things um, that in, from a Mockingbird perspective, we're not going to be like banging the drum to get everybody to try harder to be better during Lent because we sort of feel like most of that will fail. And the quicker you fail, though, the more ready then you are to hear the gospel. So that's what I would say just in my little intro, kind of opening up the conversation around Lent. Um, and now I will pass it on to... Jacob Smith, uh, and see what he wants to correct from whatever I have said, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about some of the readings. Hey, everybody. Uh, so um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the readings coming up to Lent and like how they, because I think building on what Aaron said, a lot of people, the way they understand Lent is it's um, I'm doing something really hard in order to really this time impress God. I thought I was going to impress him in January, but uh, that didn't quite work out. And so this is my mulligan and my do-over. And, uh, and when that becomes the case in the church and uh, Lent becomes a real pastoral drag, and, um, and what happens is, is that oftentimes it sucks the joy right out of the season of Lent, um, Lent is a somber time. It's a, it's, a, it's a season of journey. It's a season of formation where we're shaped into the image of Christ for sure. Uh, but um, that should also be a joyous time because, you see, uh, what Aaron described right at the beginning has you as the protagonist in Lent. Uh, but what Lent is ultimately drawing us to seasonally is to Holy Week, where we uh, follow Jesus in his passion from Palm Sunday uh, to the upper room on his way to the garden and into Golgotha, his passion. And so uh, and what we begin to see is that um, Lent leads us. Uh, to the one who's been working on you the whole time, uh, God, who's the protagonist in your relationship, and not just any random God for that matter, not some sort of abstract sky fairy who wants you to try harder, but the God that Ezekiel encountered who desires not the death of sinners, you know, uh, the God who... Um, who uh, 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 calls, uh, you know, is is merciful and forgiving, um, abounding in steadfast love. And I think through the season of Lent, especially this particular uh, year, um, uh, we see that in a major way through the themes of the gospel reading. Uh, not you try harder, but uh, Jesus has come to save you. And so I thought what I would do is I would walk us through the gospel readings of the five Sundays and basically I give you the thread by which um, you see that Jesus is your savior. And uh, when that hits your heart and that he's the protagonist in your relationship, well, 
It's serious, but it creates a real sense of abounding joy that pours forth into your congregation. And uh, actually, who knows, somebody might actually give up chocolate for 40 days and keep it permanent. Or, you know, who knows, somebody might have a a real spiritual encounter, uh, uh, the spiritual encounter of death and resurrection, and begin to find a new life. And that um, maybe while they never got off square one, because God met them right there. So, The first Sunday of Lent, no matter what, in church tradition, the first Sunday of Lent, the gospel reading, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, is Jesus in the wilderness, and so, um, and uh, where he encounters uh, Satan. And this is one of probably, hands down, uh, the most mispreached passages um, uh, in the church. Oftentimes, this becomes about Jesus as your ultimate example for taking on the devil in your life. Step one, quote scripture. Yeah, step two, you know what I mean? Uh, You don't live by bread alone, indeed. Step three, stand on the top of the temple and don't jump. So, um, so basically this becomes, you know, your opportunity to do something. And this is not the point of the passage at all. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, what you are seeing here, Jesus taking on the devil in the wilderness, is at last Genesis chapter 3 is being fulfilled. Uh, the one that we have been looking for has arrived. This is what everybody first reading this would have understood. Uh, the one who's about to trample the serpent's head, because you remember the curse and what we're reminded of on Ash Wednesday is to remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And on his belly dust he shall eat. And before on your own, you are snake food. Uh, but there is now one who has come and uh, has resisted the devil. And here you have the new Moses. Here you have the new Israel. Here you have the new absolutely positively everything who has um, not destroyed him right here because he hasn't fulfilled all righteousness. But that's where we're headed to, that more opportune time. And because of that, uh, the devil will not have the final say over you either. That's exciting. That makes me happy in Lent. That brings a little relief because I've already eaten eight chocolate bars. You know what I mean? Now we move to week two. And week two is this amazing uh, passage where, uh, I mean, talk about it doesn't get any more relative than today. You have the Pharisees and they're like, they, they come up with this fake saying it's Luke chapter 13, 31 to 55. And they're like, hey, man, get out of here because Herod's going to kill you. You know what I mean? And so what do we see at play here? You see religion and you see politics. And uh, I mean, religion just defines Lent when we're the protagonist, and it ultimately kills, and it hates Jesus, because religion ultimately on its own is a self-salvation project, not a beyond help project, the gospel where Jesus has come to save you. And I mean, is any one of our churches immune to the politics that's ripping through uh, this country, and uh, probably Canada as well? I mean... Good God, uh, like mask mandates, if that's my fault, I, you know, I don't do that, you know what I mean? But people are like, oh, so you're one of those. And then if we don't require, oh, you're one of those, I mean, you, you, you can't win. Religion and politics is all over this passage, and it is ultimately death. And uh, the key passage here is um, where Jesus says, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing curses today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. 
Holy moly, that's really powerful. Uh, when he says, on the third day, I finish my work, because uh, he's in control, not Herod, not the Pharisees. And in the midst of what seems like such an uncontrolled period in life, uh, Jesus is definitely in control. But here's the powerful thing and the money nugget that you want to drive home, is when he laments over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, uh, the old Jerusalem, I mean, it's an, it's a, I've been there, it's super cool, and I'm sure many of you have been there as well. It's amazing. But it is the old hat. It's the old hat, and it is a place that has killed the prophets, as Jesus laments, and ultimately uh, is the place where Jesus dies. Think about Stephen, Jeremiah thrown in a pit there, Isaiah sawed in half. I mean, but this is the thing. Focus on the third day, because in his death and resurrection for you, what we look forward to in Lent is a new Jerusalem that Jesus is preparing for you right now. And on our earthly pilgrimage, we are making our way there. And the blood that he shed in her streets, it's, it's uh, the blood that she shed in the prophet's blood has now been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And, uh, and it's been washed clean because Jesus, who was killed outside of her gates, has been raised from the dead and is now her cornerstone. And uh, that's the Jerusalem. That's the good news of Lent, that there's a city, there's a place that not only awaits you, but it is coming to you. And then you have Lent 3. Uh, I mean, Lent 3 is amazing. This is the particular passage. Um, let me pull it up just two seconds here. Lent 3, the gospel reading here, is uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. This is where I jokingly always say Jesus at his most pastoral, you know, the Galileans whose blood uh, Pilate mixed with sacrifices. And, you know, do you think it was because of them or, you know, uh, the Tower of Siloam falling on these people? Do you think it was their fault? And Jesus here, he's like, hey, man, why do good things happen to bad people? No, he doesn't ask that. He doesn't do anywhere. Why do bad things happen to good people? He doesn't do that at all. He just says, repent, or else you also will perish. And I mean, this brings us to, to uh, the, one of the great gifts of Lent. Uh, as we follow Jesus to the cross, uh, Lent pulls us out of that, as Luther called it, that heretical question of why. And it just, uh, it invites us into it. And into that place uh, where um, uh, uh, we're not given an answer per se, but in repentance and in faith, we are invited to follow Jesus and see where it goes. The gospel never gives us the answer oftentimes to the whys of life. Why did this or that happen to me? That's actually uh, trying to find God ultimately in the law. And, uh, and he won't ever be found there. Uh, rather, the law takes the oxygen right out of the room. And, uh, but sometimes it's there, and the people being crushed by Lent who've placed God in the law during that time, maybe that's where they need to hear that word of forgiveness, that in repentance we have a merciful God who's always slow to anger and quick to mercy. And if any person sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, then you got Lent 4, man, and this is, I mean, this is one of the greatest hits. Uh, this is uh, the prodigal son found in Luke's gospel. And, um, and uh, especially, this is a great passage for all of those folks who've made it that far in their Lenten discipline, because the parable is not directed what? to uh, the prodigal son. This is directed to the tax collectors. This passage is directed to, uh, to the righteous. But there's so much imagery here. You remember, parables are not uh, life lessons for getting better. Parables are earthly reflections of heavenly truths. 
And uh, the gospel is just replete in this passage, and you will find it all over the place. And um, finally, uh, Lent 5. And uh, this is just a very powerful passage. We're right here, and we're getting ready to move into Holy Week and talk about a powerful reflection. So here they are. And uh, I mean, this immediately follows the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave. And there they are to celebrate. And there's, uh, you have this illustration of, of, of um, Judas, and he is just like, hey, man, hold it up. That's the way the world thinks about Lent. Uh, hold it up. That's the way uh, the world thinks about Christianity, especially when they in- confront their Lord. Uh, they want to uh, cover it all up. They want to hold it all in and batten down the hatches. And Jesus is like, absolutely not. Great gifts. The gospel generates profound responses. And that's one of the great themes here. And this is what Lent is all about. It's not about me gritting my teeth. And this is what we're moving into in Holy Week. Um, is not gritting our teeth, but a profound response to an amazing gift called the gospel. Any voices that tell that, tell that his death, that Jesus' death, is anything less than the triumph over death and should be celebrate so should should not be celebrated is missing the point he is the resurrection and the life and like that nard man that fragrance fills the room and it carries us and it, it and it covers our rot in this age into the age to come where we will see our lord on the other side not as a stranger but face to face as a friend and uh, and he will see us all as that wonderful fragrance and uh, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, no matter whether you followed your Lenten disciplines to a T or not. And so um, uh, those are the themes and what I would hit on through Lent in order to make it a joyful Lent. Remember, God in Christ is the protagonist, and he's the one, the greater Joshua, carrying us through this wilderness uh, by the waters of our baptism into the promised land of life everlasting. Amen. Well, uh, thanks, Jake, for leading us through those passages. And I think one of the things hopefully you, you got in that is um, there's probably some of you who have already kind of outlined what you're doing for the five weeks of Lent. There's some there's some overachieving <laughs> clergy here. And then there's some of you that are like, oh, wait, it's Lent? That, that's happening again? Uh, but you've got now kind of this 30,000 foot view a little bit that you move. So the last Sunday before Lent is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is at sort of literally and figuratively this high point moment. And then you're, it's like the top of the roller coaster ride. And then you just come screaming down. And the next Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent, which is where you then have this Jesus being tempted by the Satan, by Satan, uh, after, after actually having a really legit Lent fasting for 40 days in the desert, way more Lenten than any of us have ever done. So, uh, and then we're in this, this, this kind of, uh, we're, we're trudging towards Calvary and sometimes running towards Calvary the whole rest of this Lenten season. And so one of the things that just to kind of add to what Jake has already said, uh, is, um, is just how you have this, you do have this m- movement almost more than any other time in the church year because Advent, it's pre-Christmas, but it's not like, 
you're not really moving towards Christmas in the readings because it's so much focused on the second coming of Christ. You get a little bit of pre-Christmas kind of traditional, uh, you know, uh, announcement that Jesus is coming. But at least, and I know many of you or some of you may not be in uh, churches that always follow the lectionary. So maybe your December sermons are very much like Mary is pregnant, get ready. Uh, but in the Episcopal or in other churches that follow the lectionary, you're not getting as much of that. Lent is really different. You really are kind of moving physically and chronologically to Jerusalem, and you feel that in the readings, and Jesus's death is kind of always right there. So Lent one with the temptation by the devil, uh, the devil obviously deeply associated with death, and uh, even the Jesus starving. It's like when someone's starving, they're on the edge of death, uh, when he's getting, he's like, cast yourself off the temple and prove that the angels will save you because he won't strike your foot against a stone. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's an action that would normally lead to death. So we're starting there with death. Uh, he says in Lent Sunday, uh, second Sunday of Lent, Luke 13, Jesus says he's headed to Jerusalem to die. Um, Lent three, where Jesus uh, talks about the you know the passage about the Galileans killed by Herod, um, uh, prodigal son is about the sort of death of that younger son who moves away, as well as the older son who is also dead, and the father has to go through his own grief of mourning the loss of his son, uh, and then of course in John twelve we step out of Luke's gospel, go into John for the fifth Sunday Lent where you have Mary and Martha at the home uh, where Lazarus has now been raised from the dead and anointing Jesus and essentially anointing him for burial. So Jesus's death. And the theme of death is running through this whole thing. And I just want to say that uh, because Lent is a great time to talk about death. And so, you know, uh, one of the things that came up in some of the questions that you all submitted beforehand was um, this feeling of like Lent should be somber, but, you know, can we also rejoice? And how do we navigate that dichotomy between the, the intensity of this period and the idea that you want Sunday to be a place of the church should be a place of joy on some level and here's what i would say about that in light of what i just said about all these passages kind of banging this drama about death if you're in a liturgical tradition like ours the liturgy will do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of making this time of year somber and appropriately reflective on the themes of lent uh the readings will do it the liturgy will do it the music will do it. And if you're a church that is going to be sort of removing some of the ornaments or you're veiling the cross in some way, there's things that will happen that will kind of clue in the people that something is different. I will say that in, your, in my sermons during Lent, at least I'll speak for myself, um, I do try to um, do these two things, which is to talk about the reality of death and suffering and uh, talk about the hope of the resurrection. And so should you be somber during Lent? In a way, yes. You should be real and you should be honest about death and suffering in human life as well as in the passages and as well as in our Lord's life. But you should not shy from preaching the gospel and talking about the hope of the resurrection because the the a, a Sunday is always a feast day in, in the church. And if you are a place that takes Lenten disciplines and fasting and all that very seriously, just remember that on the Sundays in Lent, it's always supposed to be a feast of the resurrection. Every Sunday of the year is supposed to be a feast of the resurrection. So that's a day where you want to suspend that. So it is actually okay in your Lenten sermons to be funny. It is actually okay in your Lenten sermons to preach the joy and hope that we have in Christ. And in some sense, you need it then more than ever um, in terms of uh, because the rest of the service, if you're following the, the um, kind of liturgical marking of the season, might be a little bit heavier. And I think 
the final thing I would say, just uh, kind of backing up on one of the things I meant to say earlier about Lent, is that sometimes this idea of Lenten suffering forgets the fact that people, like, we encourage people to take on new acts of discipline and uh, sort of self-denial. I think sometimes we forget how much people are already suffering so much and have already been denied so much and not by choice. They have been denied loving relationships. They've been denied the career they wanted. They've been denied uh, whatever they thought their life should be like at this point. So I think I just, I just always remember that, mention that, that people are already going through about like five or six Lenten disciplines that they didn't choose at every moment in the year. And so just when you're preaching to people, beware of heaping more burdens on their shoulders uh, and forgetting the fact that they are already weary and burdened and, and coming into your church doors for a little hope and for a little grace. So that's, um, that's all I would say that. Jake, do you want to respond to that in any way? Um, I would just say, yeah, um, I would agree with you. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I think that's very powerful. And oftentimes, I mean, never forget Jesus's uh, words in uh, um, Matthew. I mean, you know, uh, we, 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 hide, we, we, we load people with all of these obligations and we make them twice the sons of Satan afterwards. And, uh, you know, and especially um, for some of you who, whose church is discovering this gospel for the first time and kind of coming into this new awareness of the free, the, I mean, real freedom of Jesus, now that you don't have to do anything, what do you want to do kind of freedom? Uh, I mean, maybe just, you know, uh, tell people to enjoy their forgiveness and enjoy their freedom in Jesus during the season of Lent. So, because um, uh, sometimes, especially if you're coming to a fresh understanding of this gospel, um, it it can it can whiplash. Lent can whiplash the congregation. And you're right. Uh, I mean, a lot of people uh, they're coming to our churches. They've walked on glass to get there, especially now more than ever. And broken uh, to glass, be, like broken Bruce glass, Willis, but to be not be like sensitive, that thing at the Grand Canyon where you have the great view to, at the bottom. To to be sensitive to that, I think, is a very uh, pastoral insight. And so, thanks. Thank you. That's my job. To be well, guys, I'm gonna insightful. I'm gonna jump in here now and start asking you some questions that we've gotten here. First up, though, I think it's important, Aaron. When we say preach the gospel, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, but there's no handle on the outside. So unless you let him in, you're going straight to the fiery pits of hell. No, that's not what we mean. Uh, we, we, what we mean um, uh, is that uh, Jesus has busted down the door. He's come into the world. He saved you through his life, death, and resurrection and ascension. Um, he does all the heavy lifting. And we mean we preach grace to sinners, that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. Uh, and it's not, uh, it's not something uh, that, the, that he's the one that saves you. It's not that you save yourself. That's yeah. essentially what we mean. And when we, when we try to talk about that, we try to talk about God's one-way love towards you, a sinner, as opposed to a two-way street where you kind of have to meet God in the middle. And in most, uh, and if I can extrapolate here, a lot of churches don't say that it's a 50-50 thing. They say it's like a 99-1 thing. You know, God does almost all of it. You still have to do a little tiny bit, though. And what that feels like to most people, ultimately, is that it's almost all on them. In practical terms, it ends up feeling like it's all on them, that 1% becomes everything, and am I doing it enough? And if you grew up in traditions where it was all about turning your heart over to the Lord and inviting him in and rededicating yourself to the Lord, and you walked down the aisle like 10 times, and you thought this time was going to make it stick, 
you know the kind of dynamics that I'm talking about. You know, we talk about preaching the gospel is just reminding people over and over again that they were accepted by God in Christ when they walked in the door to the church, regardless of the intensity of their emotions during church or how much they felt the third verse of that last hymn or whatever it is. They are saved by God, and our job is to remind people of all of those, of, of that great truth. Is that, did I get it, Dave? Did I get it right? I mean, that was more than three sentences, but I, I guess it passes. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Uh, the gospel is, one of the ways I always like to say it is that, that um, you can't uh, and haven't, uh, God can and has. Mm. Like that's much better of, much more succinct well that's done pretty pretty simple i guess um uh, where the the yeah it's the gospel is god's glorious yes in christ and i think yeah there, there's so many people though and i that, that make it um uh I, gosh i meet people every day that feel like the gospel is that there's like a uh a, a a little dose of like it's basically like the the get out of jail free car or not the no how am i trying to say it the gospel is like god will begrudgingly forgive you if you mess up but the most important thing is that you behave all the time so yes there is forgiveness but the major point of christianity is that you kind of stay on the straight and narrow and follow the rules i just i know that that's how people walk into saint Albans waco all the time and so it's just reminding them that it's already been done as you as you said so uh yeah people, drive home. people definitely believe that god forgives them but like they still have to follow the rules um i just i want to say too that this isn't like some sort of i'm when i when I, I make this point i'm not talking intellectual ascent but what i am talking about is real history and uh, when we talk about the gospel we also talk about an actual event in history uh where um uh, god has taken on flesh and died for humanity I'll never forget it was said best. I was um, at a wedding reception and um, <clears throat> I was with the seated at the choir table and uh, we were with this paid choir and this guy was like challenging me about like Christianity and my faith. And I was getting into like metaphysics with him and all of that. And uh, there was this like good old boy across the way who had this just voice of an angel. And I was like, you know, so Charlie, what do you think? And he was like, well, there was this guy named Jesus made the claim that he was God. We killed him. And on the third day, he rose again, and I got to deal with that. And, uh, you know, and I think that's like, that's, I mean, the, so when we talk about this too, we're not talking about an abstract theory or anything like that. We are talking about real history and uh, that St. Paul has called us in 1 Corinthians to proclaim with chief importance. Well, Jake, this is a question for, for both of you guys, but I'll let you uh, field this one first is, um, how do you live a, a quote, a preaching life? I love this question. Staying attuned to what might preach so that you're always sort of in sermon writing mode or are you not? Yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, of course I have the moments in my week when I'm working on my sermon, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm thinking about it. I'm like actually looking at things. But uh, the preaching life, I mean, this is uh, this is who we are and this becomes our vocation. And so um, I mean, everywhere I go on one level, my eyes are open to like a sermon illustration or to something I've read or something I've watched. I mean, you know, I was at um, a, a lunch the other day with a, a good friend who told this hilarious story about like uh, funeral packages and newcomer packages getting swapped at their church. 
And, uh, you know, and I heard that, so, and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to use that in a sermon illustration if that's okay someday, you know? And so I did that. And, um, uh, but I think that that ultimately it becomes a part of your life and you're kind of a, I mean, there are moments that I'm working on my sermon and indeed there are moments I'm focused on my kids, but there, but for the most part, I think it becomes about who you are and they're like, oh, this, that's a beautiful illustration of the gospel. I'll use that. Mm. So I'm not trying to become something and uh, nobody on this, uh, this call should try and become something. You are, you're a preacher. What do you think about that, Aaron? Uh, I think um, if you've got, like, at least for me, I try to have some kind of nugget of what the main idea of my sermon is going to be. And even if I haven't worked on it that week yet, um, I already sort of know what the main idea is going to be, because in some way it's going to be the fact that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners and that he has, that as you said, you can't, but he can, and he has done it. So um, that little radar is kind of always scanning the horizon. I find the important thing is to make sure that I put things on the horizon that might help me uh, find ways to illustrate what I'm going to say. So uh, if I have a week where I'm watching no TV and listening to no music um, or uh, in conversations with people, I probably will be coming up a little bit dry for some of my examples. So, so it's just making sure that there are places where I'm uh, uh, exposing myself to those kinds of cultural artifacts. And so basically what I have to watch TV with my wife or watch a movie with my family or something like that, or go for a run and have my, my playlist in. And, and invariably there's something that is there that will help me kind of connect and put some flesh on it. I think if there, if I could answer this question in one phrase, it's like, how do you live a preaching life? Pay attention to the parts of when you're watching TV, pay attention to what makes you cry. Hmm. Like I was watching This Is Us, the most recent episode, and there's this very touching thing where this character's mother dies and the son is dealing with the grief or whatever, and he gives a eulogy and uh, and I got choked up. And so that goes, makes me think like, what is that connecting within me? Why is that important? And uh, and uh, it, it touches a whole number of things. It touches like my own relationship with my parents and you know am i being as devoted to them as i should be or am i appreciating the people in my life that i that may not be here one day or do i have regrets from my past all those sorts of things if i have that and i'm connecting with that i guarantee you everybody in my congregation has that as well because we're all human beings and so those are the kinds of things i think that you know we've talked we talked a little bit about this before uh as we were we actually prepped for this uh, everybody dave and jake and i spoke about this and we we're talking about the comments that people give us after sermons that are sort of because Dave's not an ordained person, but he is a lay preacher in the Diocese of Virginia. And we all hear this thing, and I'm sure y'all have heard this too, like, I felt like you were talking directly to me, or, you know, you know, have you bugged my house? Like, how did you know we were talking about this thing? And it always comes from those kinds of illustrations, like being able to talk about the family drama, the struggles, whatever. If you can name those things, people feel seen, and people then are open, I think, to hearing about grace and that. Um, so that, that's what I would say about that. Hmm. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's, that's very uh, perceptive. Thank you guys. I mean, the, the process stuff is interesting. I, I have a couple nuts and bolts questions before we zoom out a little bit for the sort of the last section here. But um, two things during Lent, uh, at least our tradition, you oftentimes you recite the Decalogue. Uh, do you guys do that? And do you have a reason you do or don't do it? And how do you preach Ash Wednesday um, uh, or, or even a Good Friday? Are these, uh, I remember um, 
that I've heard more people who were converted to the Christian faith through um, just this is anecdotal, but uh, through sermons that my father preached on Good Friday. He'd always, he'd always preach the darkest possible sermon on Good Friday. It'd always be sort of like razor's edge, despair, hope. And um, over the years, I mean, I, I wasn't present at any of them, but I've, I just continually run into people who, for that, for whatever reason, and, you know, whatever relationship they have with him or don't have with him anymore, but th those moments, the Good Friday sermon seems to have been a, a special... Uh, instance of, of 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 acknowledging the death stuff, but of course Ash Wednesday is death, death, and more death. Uh, any thoughts on Decalogue, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, Jacob? So uh, yeah, at uh, Calvary St. George's, we um, we always kick off the season of Lent with uh, the Great Litany, and uh, that is um, a very long series of prayers that just reminds you about how much we need uh, Jesus. And then on the fifth, uh, the fifth uh, Sunday of Lent, we always open up with the confession, be beginning by reciting the uh, Decalogue, and then we um, we uh, cite uh, the 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 summary of the law at every service as well. Followed by, and this is one of those things as Aaron mentioned earlier, where the liturgy does the work. Uh, you know, you say the Decalogue, and then it's. Christ have mercy upon me, Lord have mercy upon me, Christ have mercy upon me, and um, and so yes, it's very important, and uh, you know, and it and it and it reminds us that the law is not a ladder, uh, but uh, rather um, it is it exposes who I actually am, and uh, the truth of the whole thing, and uh, and puts me in need of a savior. And really, that's the that's the heartbeat of Ash Wednesday. Um, I was talking uh, to your brother, and this is one of these, uh, John, the other day, and this is one of those uh, great sermon illustrations, and he was talking about um, uh, somebody who had an identical twin die, and uh, they uh, looked in the open casket, and there he saw his face, and uh, and he was put into reminder in that one moment of his mortality. And, um, and Ash Wednesday, really the theme and how I, I preach, I preach on the like basically the theme of the season because we do do the imposition of ashes. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of mixed on the whole thing, but, you know, we, we're reminded on this day, if you've really preached Ash Wednesday well, you've reminded everybody that they are human. And that's what runs countercultural countercultural about Ash Wednesday is that everybody thinks they're going to live forever. I mean, how quickly we're already forgetting it in this pandemic, eh? like as we kind of come to the end, oh, masks will save me and I'll be okay forever or whatever masks won't save me and I'll be okay forever. I'm, I'm immortal. And Ash Wednesday is the one day where you really hammer home the fact you are mortal. And then you're going to get a smudge on your head, but we're not putting a star or a dot on your forehead. We're putting the sign of the cross. And this is because um, uh, one has come and has taken on flesh in order to save us and, uh, and has met us right in the dust of dust and ashes of ashes to really save us. And I always tell people to go home and wash their face so that they can be reminded uh, that they have been baptized and that they are uh, been given promises by God to carry them through Lent in that season. Good Friday, I agree, your dad taught us uh, 100%. Uh, that is lights out. And uh, really, that is the one day um, I really encourage people to sit in their own filth. And, um, and I don't, uh, I don't uh, leapfrog over that and, um, and go to the gospel too quickly. I, um, I really, that's the one day I just kind of, uh, we all suck, and I sit down. 
basically that's it i keep it short and it is lights out though and i'll never forget your dad gave us an image one time a painting by hans holbein of jesus dead in the tomb and it is um it is gripping and uh and really uh hans holbein dead in the tomb um jesus dead in the tomb is what you want to uh, preach on good friday hmm. aaron yeah, anything think... you want to say yeah yeah <laughs> I like the, uh, there's some good stuff in the comment section. Uh, I think, yeah, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, uh, I keep it short, keep it existential, keep it real. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, I mean, I think Jake's kind of said it all. Uh, I am going to steal that funeral songs open mic. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> we have we do have a podcast on Ash Wednesday that we've just recorded, so that's coming out soon. But I think um, I, I I think your people need to as I mean Jake, you've alluded to this a lot. I've kind of talked about it, but reminding people that they're going to die is a really good thing to do. Mm-hmm. You as pastors, anybody here that's a pastor, you are with people that are dying all the time, so you already get that reminder. There's a lot of people that don't get that, <clears throat> and I think um, uh, I mean that if you want to really appreciate Easter just remember the fact that you're going to die and then the resurrection takes on a lot more importance. So I think those are some of the things I would, I would say about that. But I think those days, Ash Wednesday, good Friday, you want to keep it short. You want to keep it real. And I think appropriately dark, it's not a manufactured fake darkness. I mean, I think you, you think life is dark and I think one of the most refreshing things that we offer, if we're going to do these services is to talk about it, uh, as it actually is. And, uh uh yeah because i think most people feel like church is a place they got to put a good face on and pretend like things are fine when they're not and Mm. these days give us both readings and liturgies to do that one final thing i'd say about just kind of backing up on the liturgical thing one of the things so you asked whether we do all this stuff and we do we we do also say the great litany we do the ten commandments the decalogue with the penitential order we read on one sunday we don't do them all on one sunday we kind of break them up over the course of Lent, because otherwise that people would leave the church. But we have... Um, uh, I like to make them suffer. Yeah, so. I know. I know you do, Jake. That's where we differ. But uh, we have... Um, there's a lot more silence in our services. Uh, we Normally, we have a choral procession while we're singing the opening hymn, and there's days... Uh, all during Lent, we do not process in with a hymn. Or we don't process. I forget. I'm. <laughs> it's been it's been a year since we've done this. Actually, two in person. So uh, there's just a lot more silence, and that's also an appropriate thing as well. Mm. So just put off for that. You know, I just had a great thought about um, uh, Lent, the way the world thinks about it, and um, and uh, you know, and have you seen the movie The Witch? Uh, that is a, an amazing illustration of Lent, the way the world thinks about it. And uh, I mean, the the uh, the villain in that movie is not the witch, but it is the father and his self-righteousness, which continues to drive this family into the clutches of something terrible and dark in the woods. And really, I mean, say piety, never forget this, everybody. Piety is the whore of the devil. And, uh, and uh, you do not want to... Um, uh, you do not like, I mean, you want to really, in the midst of the de- of all the talk of death, give them Jesus during this season, give them all of the goods. And, uh, um, and uh, yeah, that's if you we leave with one thing, 
give them the gospel and that Jesus has died for them. You don't want more pious people at the end of Easter. Mm. Well, let me. Is that, is that the new the new tagline for Mockingbird? Piety is the whore of the devil. Is that the I mean, next I took that from Luther, but uh, I know, anyway, but I know. Uh, yeah, you didn't make it up. It sounded a little 16th century to me. So, <laughs> yeah, good lord. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did, uh, Aaron. He did drop an f bomb. We all never in the pulpit, though. Never in the pulpit. So uh, <laughs> just in the um, study. Well, this is the, the sort of last question, and then a number of these questions came in like this because we <laughs> want to do. We do want to end at eight o'clock, and that's the question you always get. Um, but it's a good. It's a good question. It's not a, a hackneyed question, and that is, what role does application have? How do we? preach um you want might want to call it ethics or um exhortation and whether that be even the exhortation to trust believe receive rest uh how is there is there a way to to strike a balance with them we're talking about imperatives versus indicatives i don't i don't know same old song clearly mockingbird has a has a real um has its own kind of method, or it's, it's, I think, a very old, old method of preaching the law and the gospel, but that's not always so, so straightforward. How do you, both of you, think about this balance, interplay, dynamic, what have you? Is there a way to do it that doesn't cheapen? Uh, one, 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 uh, one person said, I've, I find both to be important, but I've often seen one negate the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, isn't that, that that you preach a bunch of exhortation and uh, people walk away feeling heavy laden and you preach a bunch of uh, nothing, uh, nothing but af- sort of affirmation that kind of rings hollow because you don't feel uh, any kind of, uh, uh, you know, there's no stakes. Um, what, what, uh, what, what do you guys, how would, where are you at that, on that question in 2022? Well, I mean, this is the question. And I will tell you, uh, I went to seminary thinking that I would learn how to um, exegete the scriptures and to preach the scriptures in such a way that I could get people to do more good things and to be better. Um, and I learned by looking at my own life that it didn't work. And I think that has been a big realization for me i was i remember and then early on in ministry i was talking to a guy who had been ordained for 10 years and he said i realized i always added these applications at the end of my sermons because that's what i was taught to do and i realized after 10 years nobody ever did a single thing i said and so he just stopped and because of people like your dad dave uh i have made it a habit to not end my sermon with an application, but to end it with a declaration of what is true, which is that you are forgiven, you are loved, and Jesus Christ has saved you. And I think one of the reasons I feel confident in doing that and not having to like tell them exactly then how to apply that in their life is was a couple of reasons in no particular order. One, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and he will do that work in guiding them. That's what Jesus says the Spirit is going to do. Uh, second, I believe that most people for the most part, already know what the right thing is to do. There's nobody that you're going to like tell them from the pulpit, you should pray because it'll help you and you should forgive people that are terrible to you. And you should also try not to be terrible to other people. Nobody's going to hear that and think, oh my gosh, I've never, where do they get this strange new teaching? Like everybody knows, I mean, Google for crying out loud, their first uh, corporate uh, motto was don't be evil. If they already know that, I think most people coming into the church kind of already know that as well. 
certainly there's no shortage of ethics out there in our world. So I think uh, that's what I would say. People already know what to do for the most part. Tell them what has been done on their behalf. Trust the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me on this and you feel like you have to end your sermon with an, with an application, take a break from it for like six to eight weeks and see what happens. And then, I mean, if, if it all goes to hell in a handbasket and, and everybody in your congregation joins Burning Man or whatever the equivalent of that is in your neighborhood or starts failing to return library books and doesn't pay the overdue fines, whatever that, you know, when the wheels really come off, if you haven't been ending your sermons with applications, you can always go back to it and see what happens, but just give it a shot. Um, and the other thing I would say is if you're ending your sermons with applications, there's probably a sense in which that's how you are treating yourself mentally, internally, beating yourself up about how not great you are and how not a good preacher you are. Somebody asked in the uh, questions beforehand, like, what do you do if you're, if you have like that post sermon letdown and you didn't do a good job? And you know, that's the law accusing you uh, and making you think it up to you. So if you're ending your sermon with applications, there's probably part of you, like that's how you're living. And I would want to preach the gospel to you and say, you are forgiven and loved. And just uh, what does it mean to rest and abide in that? It means, I don't know, get a bucket of fried chicken and watch Caddyshack or what, you know, I don't know, like just uh, let the Holy Spirit lead people into what that looks like for them. Um. I uh, I do preach application, and uh, but I have preached the application of Jesus's righteousness to you. Um, okay, we'll allow his, that, Jake. <laughs> all of his grace, all of his mercy, and all of his love. And then what happens, and I think, you know, if we want to talk about this, like, uh, biblically, is that um, these things begin to uh, become descriptive in a person's life. And that's how you want to preach it. You want to preach that, you know, we are not we must become, but we are a new community because Christ has made us one. He's torn down the dividing walls. We, we are a generous community because God has lavished us with all of his riches in Jesus. So you don't preach it as something to become. You preach as, um, you preach as if this is you preach not as if, you preach because this is who they are. Uh, the gospel says, don't become something. The gospel says, you are. Well, I don't believe it. Christ has died for you and forgiven all of your sins. I don't believe it. And it's in that word and that promise that the Holy Spirit begins to work and then conform us into the image of Christ. It's very, uh, very powerful. But, you know, and if you are preaching this as if it's somebody's like, choice to do you know when you begin to get delve into choice then you spend your entire life binding people and your entire preaching ministry is binding people and making sure people are behaving but if you realize that people like as we've said i mean they've got also they're, they're working lenten disciplines out all the time you know you recognize that they're bound when you preach this gospel you're unbinding folks and you're freeing them so apply christ and his righteousness to them and then um and then uh you uh, preach as if you preach not as if you preach this is who you are now i mean this is the magical transformation um now there's all sorts of conversations and thoughts about well how does this play out in the church in regards to like you know, life lived out, and that's for another time. But in the sermon, uh, you preach, you apply Jesus, and then you preach description. Uh, this is who we are. We are a generous people because God has made us so. We are. It's therefore because, not if then. 
Well, thank you both. I mean, there's, again, there's many, uh, we could do these every, every week. I, maybe we'll do another one uh, um, in the fall as we get towards Advent. Um, I hope so. This was awesome. Let's do well, it. Well, I just want to say thank you to Aaron and Jacob who do this week after week after week. And it's, it's, it's fairly, um, you know, they get encouragements <laughs> and, and, and we hear from people, but you know, it's just, they don't, they don't, they don't get, they get paid pennies. And uh, it's a major gift that you're giving all of us. I know I listen to same old song every time I have to preach and I'm so grateful for the two of you. And I just cannot wait to see it continue. I just, Um, I'm really grateful for everybody who's tuned in and I'm grateful for all of you guys who are here and took some time to like hang out with us. I mean, you're like, it's a super, super encouragement. I'm just, uh, I, I know Aaron and I are just so grateful for all of you and we're doing everything we can to improve the show. I'm yeah thanks for all <laughs> thanks thank you uh we're gonna get some wd-40 for jake's chair thank you no, i already uh, have it i just <laughs> haven't used it so clearly you don't <laughs> like four of you have sent me wd-40 in the mail <laughs> literally people have found my address and said fix your damn chair and i'm like no. uh yeah thanks ryan you're in the center of my screen i'm loving the red vest and thank you guys for everything that you guys have said i like seeing uh just feeling a little personal connection with where you, maybe you write your sermons or where you've listened to us before so thank you we'll keep it up and thanks do, um you can dm us on twitter or instagram or whatever if you have thoughts or things you'd like us to deal with questions we didn't get to today we're gonna uh, we'll we're gonna one increase final the social media um yeah social media presence that. uh hmm. of, of where you can interact a little bit more with your hosts that way I do check it. I just don't post all the time. So you can reach out to us. I will say that somebody asked just one last thing on this preaching in Lent. I fear fasting for Lent of anything, food or whatever, because I'm afraid it won't be pleasing to God and it will be, it will tend towards works righteousness. Is it okay? How should I deal with this? And let me just say, yes, it will not please God. And it will tend to works righteousness as it will. If you do fast or don't fast either way, you'll probably tend to feel a little proud of yourself. So just remember, preach the gospel yourself always. Um, and that's why we need a savior. So uh, anything else you want to add to that, Dave? I have nothing, nothing to add. I mean, I've got, I've got plenty to add, but I'm just thankful to hear from the two of you. And thank you for, thank you everyone for tuning in. And uh, we hope to uh, see you again soon. Come to the New York conference. Bye everyone. See you in New York. Oh, we'll post the, we'll post the uh, video soon. Thank you. House on the rock, you tell me.